Welcome to the Geek Review Podcast. I'm Jeremy Pappas, alongside, as always, the eternal master of ceremonies, Mr. Russell Jones. Russell! We're going to be putting buffalo hats on our heads later. There may or may not be, you know, ashes to walk across. We'll see. I'm down. I am so down. Woola, woola, woola. Uh, uh, uh. How we doing? That's something that we do in the the uh, Royal Order Society of the Water Buffalo, chapter number 37. There's a handshake that goes along with it. It would make a lot more sense in person. Uh, things are good. I am recovering after another uh, Wild Night at the Cove with theater PhD students. So there's that. Uh, I also have a kind of an uphill climb ahead of me this weekend. We are reviewing Borderlands 2 for uh, videogamewriters.com. So it's going to be – I've got to play through a, a bit more of it uh, to get where I want to be to be able to review it for the PC. Uh, like what I see so far, I can't talk a whole lot about it, but um, Zero is a fantastic, fantastic beast of an assassin. <laughs> it's got a lot of buzz. Uh, I've seen a lot of stuff about it. The original Borderlands was a lot of fun, so I'm sure Borderlands 2 will be as much fun. Yeah, and – Something interesting about Borderlands is, I mean, it's hailed as a shooter primarily, right? I mean, a gazillion guns, right? Mm -hmm. But it is also a very strong RPG. Yeah. Just and, and they and I think, and I'll talk about this more on the on the review later. So t go see that review uh, on Tuesday, I want to say. So I also have a feature article coming out on Monday at, video, at videogamewriters.com about. Uh, how hard video games should be after playing Dark Souls and uh, a few other different things. I, I sat down with a with a developer from Funcom who made The Secret World, and we talked about video game difficulty and designing difficulty and you know perception of the player base versus developers. So it's it's a nice long meaty feature article that I think is going to hopefully be well received. I'm sure it will be. It's my first real feature article on the site, so I'm looking forward to that. That'll be good. Uh, well, well, we're going to stick with sort of the video game theme for this podcast because a lot of stuff came out. Obviously, I, I would say chief among them would be the unveiling of the Wii U, which I guess you could consider the first the first actually actual announcement for a next-gen console. A lot of people have been talking about how long Xbox 360, the Wii, and the PlayStation 3 have been around, um, kind of bucking the trend of uh, of the lifespan of video game consoles. Well, we have our first next-gen console, which is Wii U, but I don't want to talk about Wii U quite yet. I would like to talk about a little uh, a little Kickstarter action called Project Eternity, which is a it's described as a Baldur's Gate style RPG. And it's from Obsidian. Yeah, Obsidian, uh, initially Black Isle, you know, they were the ones who created uh, Baldur's Gate, Planescape, Torment. Uh, they've also been the people behind many other really good RPGs like uh, Knights of the Old Republic 2, Neverwinter Nights 2, Fallout. Um, they're, they also made The Stick of Truth, South Park, The Stick of Truth. Mm -hmm. That's going to be coming out soon. So they have a very good pedigree, but... They launched this Kickstarter Friday saying, you know, it's isometric, party-based, you know, that top-down fixed camera kind of thing. We, we really want to make this style of an RPG again. And 
before now, I guess publishers hadn't really been biting at it, so they went to the fans and they said, Kickstarter it, you know, we want a million, $1.1 million. $1.1 in the past was a lot of money. Right now, after about ooh, 24 hours or less, they're at 942,000 and climbing. So they're uh, they're going to make that goal probably before we're finished with this podcast. <laughs> they're going to kick the teeth in on that goal and just keep going. Because I mean, here's the thing. This is the this is those those projects that you've been seeing lately on Kickstarter that have been doing really well. That combination of um niche gameplay to an extent you know what some might consider niche gameplay like you know double fine adventure game from mm -hmm. tim schaefer and double fine uh the return of shadow run uh you know this in this case you know a bald skate style rpg things like that mm -hmm. that kind of nichey thing that someone's like oh i wish they would do something like this and it's like okay we'll do it if you'll pay us and just you know Dump trucks and dump trucks full of cash have been backing up to their doors ever since. Yeah. So the game itself, um, Project Eternity, it's going to be this fixed camera, isometric, top-down, party-style RPG. Very much like um, Icewind Dale, Planescape, Baldur's Gate. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's from the Kickstarter video, they described that it's going to be a new fantasy IP that they're putting together, which is already interesting. Because you've seen how much success someone like Bioware can have when they put, you know, effort into making a brand new IP, mm -hmm. and it'll sell really well. Um, there, it's going to have to do with souls. Uh, something about, you know, how how power comes from the soul, you know, in terms of magic and everything else. Uh, they also mentioned something interesting in that by doing this, by having the Kickstarter funded thing, you know, the money's being up put up front. By the players, many of them are going to be getting this copy of the game, and then they're going to make the game with the money they were given and potentially sell it. There are a lot of restrictions that are sometimes put on by a publisher who wants to see a big return on their investment. Right. Or, at, or at the very, I think really the the issue here that Kickstarter also resolves is that a publisher wants to see at least a one for one return. No one wants to lose money on a game. So if a publisher is convinced that whatever you want to do will cause the game to lose money or to sell so few copies that it doesn't make nearly enough money then they so they'll put restrictions on doing certain things that they believe an audience won't want to see it's not necessarily you know we know this will make double the money we want it to make triple the money it's right. you know we're concerned about it which which makes sense. I mean, obviously that makes sense. That's what you would do if you're a smart business. But at the same time, that's a good way of stifling creativity. Yeah, absolutely. By not necessarily create. I mean, when you say stifling creativity, it comes down to stifling risk. Um, well, you know, I taking... mean, it, it's a publisher telling a developer, no, we don't want you to do this. Find something else to do. And when you put limitations like that on what somebody who is creating something is able to create, it can stifle creativity. Now, you could argue that, well, uh, 
you have to be cre- you can be creative and find a way around it, but that's not that, that's not the essence of creativity. If you're trying to right. create something like a video game, like a movie, you see this a lot in movies too. Yes. If you're trying to create something and you have a vision and you're not able to fully realize that vision, then part of your creativity has been hampered. And this all goes into uh, Obsidian saying that they want to make this an M-rated uh, game, an M-rated RPG. But they don't go into detail specifically about what that means. Yeah, see, in that I'm, I'm really... I'm wondering what I, I to me okay I, I'm always the critic so I'll be the critic now to me that smacks of being kind of a marketing ploy and I'll and I'll say that and I'll explain that shortly it it, it seems like they're say because this is sort of for like you've like you've said for that niche gamery uh, throwback thirty plus gamer market that wants a game like Icewind Dale that a lot of modern gamers have never played because they weren't around when Icewind Dale came out. They want a game like Baldur's Gate. I mean, they've already redone Baldur's Gate, uh, but but they want a game like that that's new. Now, with a top-down game like this, I really can't see how you can do anything in it that's that's... It's going to be MA18, and I, I don't see how that comes into play here. I, I mean, there's not so, – because, sure, if it was a – if you go from we'll – we'll take the equivalent on movies. If you go from PG-13 to R, there's a big difference. And you can say when a game comes – or when a movie comes out that's PG-13 that should be R, you're like, oh, well, fuck that. I'm not going to watch that. Mm-hmm. Because this, it should be R. Um, I was just thinking of a movie that, or I, I'm trying to think of a movie that that I saw not too long ago. Um, maybe you'll know the name. It's a movie, and this girl, and uh, she's she's back and forth between she's in a hospital, and there are Nazi zombies and blimps and. It, it's really, but she's in a hospital, but she's also in a cabaret slash brothel. It's, I wish I could remember the name of the movie. Anyway, I hated the fucking movie, but it was set in, it was set in this cabaret with all of these like strippers and prostitutes and it was PG-13. And you're sitting here going, what? I mean, just on mm-hmm. principle, the movie should be rated R and they should have, because that, that just makes it realistic. I mean, you don't go, you can't go into a PG-13 rated strip club. That It ceases to be a strip club then. But anyway, back on topic. Mm-hmm. For movies, it makes sense to have that jump between them. But for video games, especially top down, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Now, with a with a first person aspect, there are certain things you can add. You can add gore. You can, I mean, you can do things like that because it's a much it's a much larger canvas. You're actually mm-hmm. showing something. With a top down perspective, I, I I can't. I mean, I know we discussed at the top themes, but there aren't really themes that you can't approach in a game that's rated. I guess T for teen. Um, I, 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 there are themes that you can approach, but 
I mean, I I would understand that it would make a lot more sense if this were a first person game or or like a third person game. But in mm-hmm. a top down game, how do you how would you even make it an MA an MA eighteen game? To me, that smacks of saying, oh, okay, it's a thirty plus audience of video gamers. They're not gonna want a game that's T for teen. They're gonna want a game that's MA eighteen. So we're gonna say we're gonna make it MA eighteen, and we'll throw. Of course, I I. I'm not talking about language, because obviously you could have a character that said fuck every other word, and it'd be MA-18. Because he says fuck like 800 times. So maybe that's it, but if that's the case, then it's not that big a deal, and it shouldn't really even be something that you mention. But, you know, other Obsidian games have explored things like cannibalism, uh, child killing, you know, things that you wouldn't... I would argue C in anything but an M game. And if because of the things that you mentioned, because it's a top-down fixed camera, that leads me to believe that it is more into, you know, subject matter, uh, you know, and some of the scenarios that players would find themselves in than, say, something of a graphical nature. Uh, there's actually a discussion going on on Obsidian's uh, forums right now, not surprisingly, about what exactly mature themes means, and there's you know some different ideas that are kicked around. But I'm of the opinion that it's going to mean that they're going to you know try to do some something different. Maybe yeah, maybe they have a character that does you know use actual cursing for for a bit of the time. Uh-huh. Um, maybe they explore you know themes to deal with spirituality, religion, um, who knows? Any number of different things that you normally wouldn't be able to get into in like a T-rated title. Um, you know, one thing that strikes me about Planescape is that with Planescape you had, uh, just in the setting in general, you had this confluence of differing um, of differing philosophies in terms of like D and D philosophies. You know, you had hell and demons and devils mingling alongside angels and archons, and you know, higher versus lower versus. It was all there in Planescape and in Sigil. They were all in the cage, mm-hmm. and being seeing that, and the kinds of things that can be represented from all of those different philosophies of you know good and evil and whatnot putting them all on the same stage and not immediately you know coming down hard on one side of it or the other i don't know if that's the kind of mature theme that you could see but i think that it's 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 the kind of thing that could challenge the perception or ideas of a player that a publisher would want to shy against you know the original neverwinter nights two games were all uh rated t uh, Alpha Protocol, Fallout New Vegas were both rated M. Dungeon Siege 3 is uh, is is E, and South Park Stick of Truth has not yet been rated. You know that's going to be M. I, I can't imagine it not being. I mean, it's South Park. The show is M. So, um, still, I with a top-down game like that, I don't see how... I mean, sure, you're going to be able to get into themes, but but with the games that that we've seen, you get you can still get into themes and talk about them as long as you don't see them. And in a top-down game, you know, it's you don't really see anything. It's like if you remember playing 8-bit games, especially RPGs, and one character kills another character, that character like bounces back. <laughs> 
mm-hmm. and then like and their eyes like turn to little dots and then they and then they kind of flash away. It's not exactly graphic. Right. <laughs> now, obviously there's the, this is not going to be an 8-bit game, but at the same time, it's it's you know, it, it still is strange to me to think, "Oh, well, it's going to be at least at the, at the very least to me it's not something that is attractive." In a game, I'm I'm not sitting there and going, oh man, I would really love Neverwinter Nights 2, except it's rated T and, you know, it's it's one of those things. It is interesting, though. The whole project, I I think the whole project really deserves to to be pushed out as as hard as it has been now. So we'll see how it goes. The sort of retro, we'll call it retro styling is interesting. Yeah, and I actually, you know, might wind up uh, backing this one. I haven't backed any Kickstarters up until this point, mm-hmm. but including some that, you know, I've some people are pushing really hard. The uh, the Bones Miniatures Kickstarter that just recently happened, where you could, I think the the I had a friend here who plays D with me who was really pushing their hundred dollar Kickstarter goal. Be- or, or the step goal there because the rewards were something like $250 worth of minis when they finally got to it because they just kept adding on. Uh-huh. So you basically were getting, you know, high quality minis at 50 cents each, which was, you know, oh, there's a massive bargain. I'm like, I don't have $100 I can spend. Right. So, you know, I haven't, I've, I've been avoiding Kickstarters up until this point. This, you know, good people, good games. There's a very good chance that I'll probably pay, you know, 25 bucks just to see this one because at the end of the day, I mean, if they put this out there and sold it for 40 bucks, I'd probably go buy it. So why not pay $20 now and get it, you know? Yeah, I mean, if you if you're that interested in it, I would say the $20 Kickstarter to get the game itself is is a hell of a bargain. So I I would definitely go for it. So Wii U. Yeah, on to now. <laughs> it's interesting that the two of these, uh, these two stories are related in that the the release of Project Eternity, as we said, is kind of geared toward a more uh, or toward an older audience. It's toward a a, a certain class of the the thirty plus gamer. Nintendo's Wii U is pretty much exactly the same. It is it's targeted pretty pretty unabashedly toward your core gaming audience. I think something we've been talking about for a long time and talked about when all of years ago when all of this was was new and flashy was when the Wii came out it was way too casual and too casual from the the perspective of a core hardcore gamer. It's really casual, and it's not going to. It's it's the the video. I know. I know. We saw news reports of old people at nursing homes using it for blah blah blah. And in the news report, it seemed like a great thing. But if you're a video game company, you're going, no, no, don't show that. Yeah. <laughs> you want kids to buy this game? Don't show old people using it. What are you crazy? I mean, they're, they're old people and kids and and your hardcore gaming crowd don't really agree on much. So. Uh, that is something that Nintendo has finally, just in the last couple of years, I think, copped to and said, yeah, maybe not such a great idea. Because the Wii was selling like hotcakes. It, it really was. Then it and stopped. Yeah. Because all the casual gamers who wanted one had one. And they weren't going to be tricked into buying new hardware 
because they're casual gamers. Only hardcore right. gamers buy new hardware. And you know what? There'll, there will be people who have Wiis and will continue to play them. And when the Wii U comes out, they will, they will there's a good chance they won't get one because they have a Wii, and that's what they need. Especially, now, I would argue, and we'll get into this a little bit, that they haven't completely shied away from their, their casual roots. Um, it looks a little bit to me like they're, they're giving hardcore gamers the option of enjoying their casual console, but, but I'll get into that in a little bit. Yeah, a couple things I wanted to touch on. Um, when, when the Wii came out, like you said, very it had lower hardware than and, and lower graphics, but it had the interesting, you know, mechanic, the Wiimotes, the sensor bar, all that. That was kind of its gimmick. You know, it was meant to, to be this family, everyone in the living room can play style of game. It didn't have the same online stuff as far as multiplayer goes you right. know, that other consoles had. And for developers, that created a problem. You have three consoles, the Xbox, the PlayStation, and the Wii. Two of those consoles operate with similar graphic in environments. You know, I can make this game and it's going to look this way. Right. With the Wii, you have to go back a generation. With the that. Wii wasn't even HD. No, not at all. In a time that that's it's it's insane that you have a console that's not HD, right? And that's you know that import that enhanced the okay we want to make this a more casual family party you know style console and the games to an extent reflected that you did have a few you know you had no more heroes which was the really niche style you know game you had um metroid series which i still feel is one of the strongest games to come out of the entire the entire wii system you know over the course of its entire life but with the wii u they have upped the hardware to the point that and this is the kicker it's running about as good as an xbox 360 it's 20 times what the wii could produce Right. Which to me says, wow, you mean the Wii was 20 times less than what the 360 could produce? Yeah. I never really heard the numbers, but yeah, it's 20 times the Wii, which means it will be in line with Xbox 360, which is kind of a ga – well, not really a gamble. Well, you can consider it a gamble because, I mean, we're waiting for the shoe to drop on the 360 and the PS3. In terms of console age – and what we've seen in the past as far as how long consoles are around, they're antique. They yeah. should have been replaced with something newer years ago. And it's kind of – it's a little hard to consider this a third or a next-gen console because it's not any better. You know, it's not, it's not a step above. It's a step next to – so it's 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 interesting. I don't know if this will land Nintendo back in the exact same boat that they are in with the Wii, except you're not going to have that rush of casual gamers who buy the hell out of it. I think that they're going to be in a strong position this holiday season just because – now, and here's some details. It comes out um, in November for uh, for the U.S., and there's kind of a launch window that stretches from that point to March 2013. And during that time, they're going to have you know new stuff coming out for it during that period. Um, 
the basic model is going to be an eight gigabyte console with the console and the white, you know, touchscreen kind of tablet-esque gamepad. Then for $350, you can upgrade to a 32 gigabyte console. It's black instead of white. You've got uh, an HDMI cable, you know, a lot of a, a lot of other little things. I would like I would like to I'd like to 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 push in here and say HDMI cable included because to me the dumbest fucking thing that's going on with technology right now is people selling items that use HDMI cables and not giving you a fucking HDMI cable. That's like giving yeah. you a computer, not giving you a fucking power cord. Okay, component cables are antique technology. Stop giving us fucking component cables. And then people go to Walmart and spend $20 on a fucking HDMI cable. Hey, dumbass, go to the internet and spend $2. That includes yep. shipping on an HDMI and an HDMI cable instead of and, and and stop spending 20 times what you would normally in the store. Are you in the 90s? Do you not know that the internet exists? It blows yep. my mind that a you have people that – you have developers that don't give you the fucking HDMI cord that you need. And B, people are supporting people, uh, big box stores like Walmart and Kmart and Target selling electronic equipment they should sell for at most $5 for four times that amount. Anyway, tangent over. Yeah. Fuck. So yeah, – but yeah, HDMI cables included. Um, the other thing is that you – you are not going to be able to buy more tablet-style controllers. Gamepad is what they're calling it. You are not going to be able to buy one on retail in the U.S. at the launch. Right. You are not going to get Wii-style controls with this because – and this is kind of a weird thing. They're going to assume that you probably already have one. They're going to assume – that you probably already have a Wii, mm -hmm. that you have a couple of, of you know, Wiimotes and Dunchucks. You've got, you know, games you've downloaded and whatnot. They will transfer onto the Wii U, and you'll be able to use those same controllers with the Wii U that you were using with the Wii. If you don't have it, then if you want to play with more than just the one person on the gamepad, you're going to need to go out and buy some extra Wii U or, or Wiimote controllers. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of an... An interesting thing about their strategy with putting this out there and saying, you know, we we were basically expecting you to have certain things, or you know, know certain things to start with. Another part of this is that the the uh, the memory on it is kind of thin. I mean, eight yeah. gigabytes on the first one, thirty-two gigabytes on the expensive version. Right. And they, see, that's what that's what I want to that's what I want to point out. Take note here: your hardcore gamer type is going to want the one with enough memory to store enough games, right? Yeah. That costs more, which which is with what game companies usually do. Okay, that that is not that's not crazy. But it starts out at 8 and not 16, which I would say in this market you you should start it should there should be 16 and 32, not Eight and thirty-two, but anyway, I, and I'll jump in a minute when you when you talk about something else to point something else out. But go ahead. 
Yeah, but it's like when I first bought the Xbox 360, I had a 10 gigabyte hard drive and that thing ran out of space fast. Mm-hmm. And if they're saying we want people to be focused, you know, we, if we want one aspect of this is to be online games and yes, transfer over the online games you had on your, mm-hmm. your Wii before, that's going to people are going to take come to this, you know, not with a clean slate. They're going to probably come to this with a lot of games already downloaded right. and that storage is going to go fast now you can buy sd cards that you know will have more storage on them to put in sd cards to be fair are pretty cheap and you can also plug in usb uh memory like a hard drive if you wanted to yeah so that is something going to be available. sd cards are not super expensive you can get a 32 gig sd card for for next to nothing yeah but comparatively speaking but i know in the past the processing time reading off of an sd card is not great so take that for what it's worth but anyway the one thing that so so you've you've got that you've got the that it's the base model is eight gigs which to me seems a little bit ludicrous Now let's talk about the controller, okay? This is where I think it really, to me, says Nintendo is making another casual console with options for your your core gaming audience, right? Okay. The controller, the basic controller is called the Wii U Gamepad. It features a built-in touchscreen, which can supplement or replicate the gameplay shown on the main display. Essentially... You have your built-in touchscreen that can give you other information from what you've got on the from what you have on your television, or you can pull the entire game into the gamepad. I guess if you have to go take a piss or for whatever reason you would want to do that. Or depending on you know the title. For instance, if you're playing a split-screen game um, and you have one game running on the TV and one game running on the gamepad, that is correct. Now that's the base model for the Wii U. That's Having a having a screen in your controller, and you can you can disagree with me, and you might be right, but to me that seems like that's more of a nod to your casual gamer, because that's something that you have and that you get a lot of in your casual games. That's that's more of one of those more those more gimmicky kind of things. Now here's here's the really interesting thing: you can get the Wii U Pro controller. The Pro Controller is essentially an Xbox 360 controller. Yeah, and it looks just like it. Right. Which is obviously their their offering to the core gaming audience. So that leads me to believe that the Wii U, like I've said three times now, is a casual gaming system with options for a core gaming audience, which I think is a problem. Because a core gaming audience doesn't want to play a casual game system. Mm-hmm. It's not a. It's not a. Oh well, you didn't give me a controller without a screen on it, or uh, I don't want to waggle my controller all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not the issue. The issue is when you make a casual gaming system, you make casual games for them. You don't make core gamer type games. And your system becomes known as the casual gaming system. If you if say it's like whenever you whenever you think about the um, the DS, the most popular game on DS, I would argue, is probably Nintendogs. Wasn't that like crazy, crazy goodness? Nintendogs yeah, for a while, and, yeah. 
Nintendogs and Pokemon, which has led to an overall thought that handheld gaming consoles are for kids. Or not for core gamers. Right. Because you would have not necessarily kids using it, but yeah, you would have kids. You may have some parents. You may have, you know. Those, of course, hipsters are still playing those old. Uh, you used to get them the little dime store games that only play one game, and it's mm-hmm. it's all that's what hipsters play. Um, I assume. Uh, I used to have one that was football, and it was a lot of fun, but I could really just destroy it. Um, anyway, it, it, it's that perception that I think, at least on the outset, and I don't want to cry doom and gloom right out the bat, but I'm going to cry doom and gloom right out the bat. I don't think they're doing it right. I, I think that these issues are – it's going to be seen as, as a casual game trying to pander to core audiences, and they're not going to win a whole lot of your core audiences over. Now, they've made some announcements about the gaming lineup at launch that push the core gamer uh, audience. Well, they, right. I mean I'm not saying they're, they're not going to release gr- games for a core audience. I'm not saying they're not going to release great games for the core gaming audience. I'm going I'm saying that the perception they haven't done enough in the perception of the console to make it anything more than just Wii 2. Mhm. I'll agree with that. I mean, they've said uh, Call of Duty Black Ops 2 is going to be on there at launch and is going to run at 60 frames per second, both on the tablet and on the PC or or on the uh, frames on per the second. monitor. Do what? It's going to run at 60 frames per second. That's what they said for both of them. It's going to run on 60 frames per second on the uh, tablet that you're holding in your hand the and on the screen. Non- the things that non-video people find good and impressive blows my mind as a video <laughs> person. The human eye can't see 60 frames per second. The human eye can see about 30 frames per second. You can have as many frames per second as you want, and it's not going to look any better. Movies are 24.5 frames per second. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you have glitches in movies? No. The things that non-video people... <laughs> it's going to run at 60 frames per second. Okay. <laughs> That's great. Why not save a little processor speed and run it 30 frames per second, you know, as fast as eyes can see. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Go on. Yeah. I knew you were going to jump on that. It's stupid. It's kind of the reason why I it's said dumb. it. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's just stu- – oh, I'm, I, oh, man, I'm listening to this band. They're so awesome. Uh, did you know that they have, they have like a thousand different sounds that are ultrasonic? Yeah, ultrasonic band. Now it sounds like a regular shitty garage band, but there's ultrasonic sounds, i.e., sounds you can't hear. Exactly, sounds that you can't hear. Shit that you can't see <laughs> isn't going to just blows me away. Oh, yeah, we're gonna make it. Let's fucking make it 120 frames per second. When again, movies. Uh, are about 20 they're 24.5 frames per second tv is about 30 frames per second which is why movies look different than tv it have that they have that cinematic quality and and why picture the picture seems richer in a movie it's because you're getting fewer pictures there's fewer there's there's less motion which allows your eye to focus on individual it's like when you look at a photograph a photograph seems incredibly detailed because your eye has enough time to look at it and go that's incredibly detailed you can really get into it when you get to a movie you uh you yeah it's um it's 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 crazy so yeah i'm really interested in the in what the Wii U is going to do, I'm 
wondering how a core gaming audience is going to react. I'm thinking, like I said before, I'm thinking not exactly favorably, if only because they're still going to have that, it's the casual game, it's the game system that you're going to play with your parents in your living room, and you're going to have the rush of people that are going to go buy the Wii U to replace their Wii. Not everybody. It's not going to be as big as it was when people are like, oh my god, the Wii! But you're going to have a lot of your your Wii owners that still play to this day that are going to go out and they're going to buy the new Wii U, they're going to buy some games, they're going to play it, but it's going to dry up almost immediately, just like hap- just like we saw happen with the Wii, and you're not going to have... I, I think what we're looking at is Wii 2, and it's not going to fare any better than the Wii did. Yeah, my my whole opinion about this was that they know that the next-gen consoles are coming, and they know that if they want to even hold a candle to to succeed at all, they need to get this thing out the door with you know the way that they want to and, and everything else in a time when those consoles are not on the market. That's why I said that this holiday season is probably the best chance for them because that you don't you don't really have any new consoles to compete with it for right. for money, for space, for attention. I mean, it is the new kid on the block. And yeah, like you said, the kind of the first of the next even though it's not uh right. as big a step forward like Nintendo graphics. Nintendo was kind of like yep. the, Nintendo's kind of half steps. Nintendo if you started off at 1 Nintendo stepped to one and a half with the Wii. PlayStation and Microsoft, or Sony and Microsoft, stepped to two with the Xbox 360 and the PlayStation 3. Then with the Wii U, Nintendo is stepping to two. <laughs> so yeah. in the next, I think in the next gen, as long as Microsoft and Sony step to three, they will be so far ahead of the Wii that you just it's that's going to hamper it even more. The, the things that I think that are really going to hamper it is a you're not going to have the big, the big fad rush to buy the Wii U because that's already happened. You can't replicate a fad. Ask the makers of the new Furby that. Hmm. B, and I hope I didn't say one first because uh, <laughs> people don't know the one B Roman numeral Third. B. Uh, but B, I, you're going to have such a divide between what the 360 or what Sony and Microsoft are working on and what the Wii U will be that you're not going to get core gamers because they're going to want, even if it's a little bit more of a price tag. The price tag is another interesting point because I'm always for things being cheaper. Mm -hmm. But you make a console for $299 and people tend to think of it as the discount console. And a lot of people who are not core gamers buy it because it's fun and we'll have the we'll have the McGillicuddy's over and we'll you know drink diet dr pepper and play wii sports and you know it'll be fun and hip and yeah so it's it's i don't know i i really think the wii u i i'm I'm not going to say it's going to be Atari ET levels of fail, <laughs> but I can't imagine it being all doing all that well. I just can't. The real danger comes 
let's say it puts out this year and it sells decently, not necessarily even well, it sells decently. Uh-huh. Then a year, two years down the road, the next gen for Xbox and uh, PlayStation come out. Now here is the trouble. You've got Wii's that have already been sold and on the market. Uh-huh. You need to support them with games. But the game developers and publishers, the third-party guys who are trying to figure out where to put their resources – are probably going to put most of those resources into developing uh you know the Xbox and the Microsoft games mm-hmm. for the really you know right. the really high end graphics and they're not going to allocate the resources to devolve the game back it off uh, to be able to put it on the Wii as well which could create a drought of games and especially good games mm-hmm. for the Wii which you kind of saw with the Wii um kind of halfway through its life cycle they just stopped right. making the same games for it because they could not graphically hold up and processing power and everything else they could not hold up as much as they could on the xbox and playstation so why so right. so why and split your resources and do it and their core audience is going to want the game in its best form and its best form is never ever 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 going to be on the wii and when the xbox 680 and the PlayStation 4, when all that comes out, you're not going to have de- – I don't think developers – like you said, I don't think developers are going to make the same mistake twice. I don't think they're going to go, well, we'll make them for both platforms because they're going to see that, A, the people who have a Wii U are not core gamers no matter what Nintendo tries to do. Mm-hmm. And, B, we've we've been down that road before. We know that it's not going to sell the way we want it to sell. We're going to make – we're going to make the – the cut because it's about cutting edge. No matter what Nintendo does, releasing a console that is equivalent to consoles that were released, what, two thousand six? Mm-hmm. Consoles that were no, no earlier than that, two thousand four ish. Uh, consoles that were released almost a decade ago. No matter what you do, you're not going to. You can't compete with that. Game developers are going to want to be cutting edge. They're going to want to be. The they're gonna want to have the latest, greatest, sharpest, cleanest innovation in gaming. That's what that's what games are about. That's what video games are about. Yep. You know, we don't you don't see you don't see filmmakers going back and making '80s action movies. You don't see them shooting on cameras that are 30 years old. There's a reason for that. You don't see TV she, TV shows coming out in black and white and not in HD. No, because there's a progression to these things. You know, no one is creating a new cell phone that weighs a half a pound. Mm-hmm. You know, it, there's a progression to these things. And Nintendo can throw stones all they want, but if they if they want to be the casual gaming company, I don't think they're going to do super well. I will say this, expect Nintendo and your really popular casual gaming companies like Zanga and uh, PopCap, mm-hmm. expect them to start getting a little cozier. Because if the big developers aren't going to create games for the Wii U, you know yep. Zanga and PopCap will. Yep. Because, hey, they're in the business of making money. That would be interesting, actually, to see uh, someone like Zanga come come on it consoles will, and do something. It'll happen. Mark my words. I say that. Today, which is September 15th, 2012, you will see in the next couple of years a Zanga or PopCap games on Wii U. 
because other especially you'll especially see these once um the next Xbox and the PlayStation 4 come out. Mm-hmm. You will you will see it and they will be slightly more in depth but not by a whole lot because why would they need to be? They they already work really well. So mm-hmm. anyway, we need to close the podcast down here pretty quickly, but I wanted to bring up something that caught my eye as I was surfing on the internet's this week. It is a trailer. I'll link it in the podcast page for a musical. Magic the Gathering the Musical. Oh god. Did, no. I, I sent you the uh I sent you a link. Um you can go ahead and take a look at it. Now, it's Magic the Gathering the Musical performed by Muppets. Oh, yeah, like and we're talking um uh, crank Yankers style. Yeah, Muppets. yeah, Crank Yankers style style Muppets. We're not talking about actual uh, Jim Henson Muppets. Go go watch the trailer on the podcast page. Um, from what I can see, uh, I don't think this is going to be great. Now, it's it's not fan made. But you could, if you weren't watching really closely, you could almost think it was fan-made. Like, kind of like a gag. Mm-hmm. It kind of shows not a... Just from this trailer, which is actually just a song that's about two minutes long. A song from the musical. I, I think it kind of shows the... Uh, kind of a fundamental misunderstanding of the game and the people that play it. I, I would be surprised if you said that this was this this was created by people who loved Magic the Gathering. Now, I played Magic the Gathering way, way back. Not not quite when it first started, but close. Um well, maybe not close. Uh mm. close enough. I started around antiquities. And for people who who played Magic together, yeah, that makes that's sense. That's pretty far back there. It's yeah, it's back there. I mean, I started when you could still buy Mirage boosters in the store, so it's pretty far back there. Um, I did briefly pick it back up and play what probably four ish years ago, right around Kamigawa and um, Eventide that. That whole cycle again. If you don't mm-hmm. play, if you don't speak Magic: The Gathering, I apologize. Um, <laughs> Probably better off. <laughs> you are definitely better off. Now, Russell was was far more. At least it's my understanding. Russell, uh, in his more mature life, because when I started, I was not. I was. I was a kid. Yeah. You know, I was. I was like just out of junior high, just getting into high school. So I was a kid. Uh, Russell has been, and, and there's nothing wrong with playing Magic the Gathering. Some people consider it an, the dorkiest of the dorky hobbies. That, of course, belongs to LARPing. But yep. uh, there's nothing wrong with playing Magic the Gathering. I don't think the game is nearly as good as it used to be. I think they've kind of, that they kind of need to put it out to pasture now. But I lo- as a general rule, I love TCGs. I, I don't play any right, anymore. But I love TCGs. I really yeah. do. I got rid of my cards before we moved down to Louisiana a couple of years back, and I'm I've still to a point I I twinge and feel that phantom limb occasionally. Yeah. You didn't get rid like, of all your cards. Um, yeah. Did you get rid of your sliver deck? That's that's what I'm talking about. I got rid of the sliver deck too. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I haven't found it in any of the boxes. When I think I didn't, did I get rid of the sliver deck? And I go digging around in the boxes and I can't find it. It's like I'm, I think, yeah. 
And I remember, oh yeah, I did get rid of the sliver deck. I just actually found something this week that may get me back into the TCG game, yeah, though. Yeah, I, I saw that. Yeah, because slivers are so near and dear to my heart, I discovered that Cryptozoic, who is making the WoW card game, uh, is putting the same mechanic from slivers, which is that, you know, more slivers you have, they share their abilities, the, right. the better they all Again, grow. if you don't speak Magic the Gathering, I, we apologize. <laughs> yeah. They're putting it in WoW, the card game, with the Tauren tribe mechanic. So Tauren with the tribe mechanic all share the same abilities as other Tauren with the same tribe. Uh, and they'll probably use that same mechanic with other tribes later on so that you would have, you know, Tauren tribes, maybe Tonka tribes eventually, you know, something like that. Uh -huh. But they're my it's my favorite mechanic from my favorite race back in Magic that is now going on to my favorite race in wow Torin. and when i saw this i was like well crap there go all my monies yeah um the problem with the wow card game is that it's so niche you almost have to buy twice as many cards so whoever you want to play with <laughs> you can give them a deck and teach them immediately how to play because the chances of you finding people that especially if you don't live in a really big city or are 13 years old, uh, the chances of you finding someone who's a interested in playing the wild card game and b already knows how to play and plays actively are very slim. Um, and I'm I'm fortunate in that because uh, there's a place down here that's open that you know has been running Magic tournaments for a while and they actually are very active in in WoW TCG. They're holding a pre-release tournament. The owner of the store is a state judge for the game. You know, so hmm. they are. They are very active about uh, taking part in organized play, which means that there's a community built around it, which means you're more likely to find people. You know, they host a battlegrounds right. night. So that's the that's the other side of the shoe. On the one hand, it's like, oh, slivers. Oh, but I have no one to play with. What this? An entire shop <laughs> full of people that actively play WoW TCG? Oh. Yeah. Full of Asian kids that have been playing since WoW TCG came out and will kill you every single round. Um, that's always going to be true. Uh, but it does, I guess it doesn't necessarily just have to be Asians. It usually is, but it doesn't necessarily just have to be Asians. Um, anyway, we're about out of time. Uh, I will link the Magic the Gathering, the musical trailer in the podcast page. Go take a look at it. Um, I just wasn't impressed. It's, eh, it's fundamental misunderstanding of how magic works. Not, not how the game works, but it, it's almost like a magic-themed musical, which is... The worst thing you can do if you try to do something within the realm of a uh, of a thing that that nerds are really passionate about, because we can spot an imposter really quickly. It's it's tough to get stuff like that past us. So anyway, uh, that's all the time we have for today. As always, our music is op prop featuring Esset. Check them out on uhort.no. Also, why don't you uh, fire up the old iTunes machine, search for Geek In Review, and uh, subscribe, 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 because, uh, yeah, we're on iTunes. We mentioned that last week, and uh, still true today. I went, checked. It's really good. Actually, I typed in, inadvertently, I typed in Gear In Review. I missed the K, and underneath it, it said, did you mean Geek In Review? And my inside my brain, my brain goes, as a matter of fact, I did. <laughs> so uh, that was cool um, in a hey, there we go, sort of way. Uh, go check us out there. You can also shoot us tweets. We are at GIR Podcast if you are still in the early 90s, um, like Nintendo. 
why don't you shoot us an email? Our email address is girpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. We you, we you, we you, we you.